Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Hanging in there. Hanging in there by the scruff of your weird, fleshy box cutter hand. Exactly. That is exactly how I'm hanging in there. <laughs> what about you, Garrett? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's too early to record this podcast, but I'm doing okay. Okay. That's good. Well, we're just getting into it today. We, could, we couldn't think of anything good to do up front, so rather than make our listeners suffer through it, we'll just get into the movie and what we've been up to. We figure there's other things we could make you suffer through. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> um, Not a whole lot. I haven't watched all that many new things, or I don't think I've watched any new things at all. I restarted watching, or I, I'm re-watching The X-Files. It's on Hulu. There's some creepy episodes in that show. Men in Shadows, Aliens, Encounters, I think. There's a Sully and a Mulder. Fox Mulder. You got it. Did you say a Sully? That's what I heard. You mean Scully? <laughs> Guys, I didn't watch a lot of X-Files growing up. I think I caught seven episodes during its entire run. So yeah, but you, forgive me if I'm butchering your favorite show. You were alive in the 90s. It was everywhere. You knew about Scully and Mulder. They were on The Simpsons. Yeah, but that was a Sunday night program, wasn't it? I was probably at church. I didn't get to see it live. I caught some reruns, though. Uh, I don't remember when it aired. Thanks for nothing, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it was Sunday nights. It was Sunday nights at, I believe, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock on Fox. Fox Broadcasting. And yeah, that was it was, uh, it was after the sun went down. I knew that much. Yeah, that's my excuse. I'm sticking with it. I did watch those movies, though. The one with the bees. And uh, the one in the snow. You watch the movies without seeing the show? <laughs> did it like, how did how did that work? Did you get it at all? Yeah, why not, man? I knew who they were. I was familiar with the idea of the show. Just because I don't know if Mulder's kid or, or was it, no, it was a kid, it was a sister, right? Sister, yeah. Got abducted if she ever made it back. I never got the end of that plot line. <laughs> but the movies were always pretty self-contained, I think. Okay, okay. That's like watching Attack of the Clones and not seeing any other Star Wars movies and be like, I think I got the gist of this. <laughs> I've seen enough. Check, please, on the X-Files. Thank you. Come again. <laughs> There's good guys. There's bad guys. I know what I need to know. Secret shadowy organizations. Maybe, maybe not working with the aliens. I, I'm on board. <laughs> I, I, we're good. Garrett, what have you been up to? Same old shit, different day. But um, I did find out that a few uh, films, I, I, don't, I don't know about our listeners. I mean, some people are big streamers. I like to kind of like own my media. I like to buy it, put it in my library and, and do my thing. Um, I've been a little annoyed that I haven't been able to buy um, anything for Jackson. Um, and add it to the collection. I mean, I'm just, I do not want to be stuck with nine streaming services at this point. So anytime I have a chance to buy it and kind of keep it in one place, I'm all about that. Well, I just found out that anything for Jackson is going to be available for purchase and it'll be on uh, DVD and Blu-ray on June 15th. So if you're uh, one of those people that want to own anything for Jackson, the Shutter exclusive uh, flick, that is going to be available June 15th. 2021. So go grab that, throw them some more money. I'd like to see what else they can do. That was actually a really good movie. Yeah, I agree. And I've been uh, thinking the same thing, Garrett. I've I've been really upping my physical media purchases lately because you never know where anything is anymore, right? Like there's so many streaming services and things come and go constantly. I just like to know it's on my bookshelf and I can just go get it whenever I want. Yeah, I'm a little less big on physical media itself because I mean the, the space it takes, but I do like having it in a place where I don't have to like, you know, like, oh, which service is this? You know, I, I don't know. It, it gets very complicated for me. And I, that sounds probably super old manny, but 
I don't know. I just kind of liked, and plus I like to kind of throw money at them beyond just throwing it to Netflix or, you know, Peacock or whatever, Tubi or Scrubbles or whatever streaming services out there nowadays. There are so many. I was going on Amazon Prime trying to find something the other day and there's like Fundor in Haya Network. And I'm like, what the fuck is a Haya Network? And it's like nothing but Kung Fu movies and shit. And I'm like, oh my God, really? Like, yeah. This stuff is spread everywhere. And I don't think it's a problem with being an old man. It's a problem with today trying to watch shit that isn't put out by one of the five major studios, right? Anytime I go try to find some shit like an old Godzilla movie from 94, half the time on Vudu, it's like, this is not available in your region. And I'm like, why the fuck not? Who cares? It's digital. Let me buy the... Let me download the 700 gigs to watch Godzilla shoot Mothra in the face. I'll give you the cash. Let's just do it, you know? Like, the regional stuff, I understand. There's a lot of different, like, guidelines for regional releases and stuff. But, I mean, yeah, to be fair, though, if I'm an Amazon Prime subscriber and it says available on Amazon Prime and I go to watch it, I shouldn't have to be like, yes, available through Amazon Prime with a subscription to Scrubbles. And I'm like, no! Like, either it is here or it's not here. Like, I do not, like, you don't go to a buffet and be like, oh, snap, prime rib. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you want sauce on that, that you got to go buy that separately over at this little bucket. And you're like, dude, no, straight up, I'm at the buffet. That's the point of a freaking buffet. Anyway, um, anything for Jackson is going to be available on June 15th. Also, I've been going back and watching a few um, older movies that we've done on the, the podcast, kind of revisiting them. Um, I did go back and rewatch Hereditary. I will say this, while still not a huge fan of that film, I get it. Um, it on a second watch, I was able to focus much more on the demonic possession aspect of it. Um, definitely helps out. I definitely say a second viewing helped me on that film. Uh, still hate the shit out of some of those characters, but um, you know, I I do understand it a little bit better, and I think I, I get why people dig it so much. Um, also went back and watched, uh, the girl with all the gifts that one holds up a film that we did that kind of was a, a mini episode, uh, butterfly kisses. I don't know if you guys had gone back and watched that, uh, anytime soon, but that one for a found footage movie still is really well done. Um, the concept and the execution bang on. So, so kudos to the butterfly kisses guys out there and gals and the whole crew. Um, I'd like to see what you guys are doing next. Hopefully you're doing something else because um, that was a pretty solid uh, first go. Very good. Glad to hear that one holds up. Well, I got a couple things to mention. Uh, I've been checking out a new horror anthology called 100 Word Horror. There's a few of these out on Amazon. You can check it out now for free. If you got Amazon Prime, you can download it to your Kindle. Uh, I'm checking out one called Beneath. So basically it's 100 short stories that are 100 words or less written by a hundred different people. If you're just like in the mood for something quick, something interesting, this is a good read if you just want to, you know, like, hey, I'm waiting for the laundry or something. You don't want to dive into a giant novel like War and Peace or Stephen King's It. Oh my God, that one's like a million pages. This might suit you better. So check that out on Amazon. That was put out by Ghost Orchid Press Anthology Company. Again, that's on Amazon Prime now. Go check it out. Uh, I did get around to finishing Junji Ito's Uzumaki, which is a anthology manga horror, all to do with the spiral shape. 
I didn't know you could write that many stories focused around horror and that particular shape, but he did it. Pretty fun. The art is great. There's a there's a story, and I'm bringing this up because it actually ties into what we're going to talk about today. There's a story where all these people start turning into giant garden snails. You see the spiral shape is the shell, right? So again, this thematic spiral imagery comes across for all these uh, stories, and it seems to be affecting this one town in particular. And it like this poor girl and her boyfriend, <laughs> somehow they're surviving every one of these short horror stories that deal with the spiral. Uh, again, that's horror manga artist Junji Ito. I'd say check it out. It was a lot of fun. It's a good read too. The question is though, is are they going to be in the new movie Spiral coming out next month in theaters only? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, that's related to Saw. But I will say Adult Swim is going to make a four episode mini show on uh, their channel for Uzumaki. It's coming out this year. There's a trailer. You can go check it out. They're doing a real good job capturing that art. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I also got around to watching Audition. And John, I think you mentioned that on a previous episode that you checked that out. Yeah. That was a hard watch, man. Mm-hmm. You watched this because Joe Bob last week, right? Yeah, technically, yes. Now, I purchased it thanks to Arrow Video Sales three years ago, and it's been sitting in my iTunes. So <laughs> I could have just waited for Joe Bob to do it. You're right. That wasn't his uh, last episode. But I wanted to bring it up because the main character in Audition uh, plays a character, Asami. She's the main character in the one we're talking about today. So now that I've watched that one, holy crap. I mean, I like Takashi Miike's stuff. You know, I've seen Itchy the Killer. I've seen Dead or Alive. Like his stuff is good, but I think this was his most, I want to say almost believable, if that makes sense. And John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but man, is this one just uh, about a girl who goes to audition for this role, but it's all fake because the guy's trying to get himself a new wife. So it already starts out being a little weird and creepy, right? But turns out that she's got a past and he's got to deal with it. And it just turns into this weird trip of torture and all kinds of stuff at the end. I won't ruin it. But uh, yeah, Audition by Takashi Miike. Really good. Enjoyed that one. She's got a past and he's got to deal with it. That's just dating in the 20th century, baby. That's also going to be the next thing I put on a back of a box, I think. <laughs> That's the perfect line. Yeah, that, that actually, that movie is one of the, it's one of those movies that I'm just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> like. That was one of those films that definitely had some moments where I was like, this might be, I might be checking out. It was pretty, it was pretty intense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That was a heavy watch, but uh, yeah, I guess Mark, you're right. It's his most grounded, if any of his movies are grounded films. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. So not, not believable, believable per se, but it, it felt more rooted in reality than say like Takashi Miike had the killer with his mouth slid open, closed together by rings. And then he was getting chased around by the guy with rocket boots I mean, it's been 20 years since I've seen Itchy the Killer, but that's what I re remember from it. That is a, a very bare bones good summary. <laughs> wow, Dan. You think that up all by yourself? You know, I was sitting around the other day. I was like, man, I could go for a fish movie, Creature of the Black Lagoon style. And I found one thanks to uh, second round of In Search of Darkness is now available on Shudder. Uh, if you remember, we did an episode on that one, a mini a while back on the first one. I uh, hadn't gotten around to watching the second one, but now it's on Shudder. I gave that a watch and they came across one called Humanoids of the Deep. For all intents and purposes, it might as well be a Roger Corman film. It's directed by Barbara Peters, but it was produced by Roger Corman and sure feels like he did it. Uh, but this one takes the Fishman, the Gillman story, uh, you know, a sleepy fisherman town. Well, what if 
Now, what do you think about this? What if the fish man just wanted to fuck the ladies and kill the men and that was the whole plot of Creature of the Black Lagoon? That's what Humanoids of the Deep is. Hmm. Wait, I thought that was the plot of Creature <laughs> of the Black Lagoon. It, well, this one's less subtle. There's a lot more tits, a lot of uh, uh, really violent kind of fish on woman crime occurring on screen. And for 1980, I was shocked, to be honest with you. But uh, that being said, it, it's a silly monster movie. And the ending is quite, has a bit of a shock to it too. But speaking of fish on lady crime, this sounds like a job for the police. Maybe the Tokyo Gore police. The start of the movie, though, they are the Tokyo corporate police, right? Or something like that. They're not quite the gore cops. We're going to have to take this movie to get that origin out of the way. You know, like every good, you know, hero movie or in this case, police procedural. Or documentary. Or do Yes, this is true. I'm pretty sure Japan is just like this movie. Uh, no, we're talking about Tokyo Gore Police from 2008. And, ah, oh, man, I realize that I have not done my homework. I did not go to IMDb and get all that good information. Well, fortunately for you, Mark, Garrett did, because Garrett is a goddamn consummate professional. So let's get it on, mother. <laughs> so this movie was directed by Yoshihiro Nishimura. Um, it was written by Kengo Kaji and three other people, which I'm not going to try to pronounce their names. It starred such people as... I'm going to butcher these names, so for all our listeners who know Japanese, um, I apologize in advance. Ihi Shina. Uh, she was the one that you were saying was an uh, audition, Mark. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the uh, Ihi was uh, Ruka. Itsuji Ito um, as the key man. Yukahide Beni as Tokyo Police Chief. Gigi Bu. Ikoku Sawada. And Kei Azumi. And then the rest are just bit players throughout the movie that, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's really no need to. We're going to talk about those characters as we get there. But um, but yeah, I do not have a back of the box though, Mark. Did you happen to get that? I will. Um, I will also say that this was the one I was talking about when I was trying to go find this film. I went to uh, Google it and it was like, hey buddy, why don't you go to Amazon Prime, click this button and you can watch it right now. Just kidding. You got to sign up for Haya or fan door and that'll be $3.99 a month please hand it over and I was like ah, I just bought it on voodoo so I wouldn't have to worry about it that's it Amazon Prime we're calling you out get your shit together or get the fuck out <laughs> Amazon Prime is on some bullshit lately with that uh, they're trying to pretend they have all kinds of movies that they don't have alright here's what the back of the DVD has to say about Tokyo Gore Police Blood and guts are the ultimate weapon. In the near future, the Tokyo Police Corporation is locked in a bloody war with the engineers. These genetically modified super criminals can biofuse their open wounds with weapons, turning self-mutilation into a combat form. Ruka, the daughter of the police chief's murdered right-hand man, is now the top engineer hunter. With cold-blooded efficiency, she cuts through the psychotic engineers and tracks down their home base. Truly bizarre fetish club. Nothing keeps her from her sworn duty, even when she finds out the truth behind her father's death. Wait a minute. That's not true. 
Their home base isn't a secret fetish club. Wasn't it, though? Remember that part with the snail lady <laughs> and the lady with no nipples? That was a place that he he worked, but he also worked out of a couple different places. Anyway, I don't want to I don't want to nitpick the the locations. Now, Garrett, this was your recommendation. So why don't you tell us why we watched Tokyo Gore Police today? Okay, so we picked Tokyo Gore, well, I picked Tokyo Gore Police because we hadn't really done any kind of like really over-the-top crazy like Japanese cinema for horror stuff. And while it's kind of hit or miss at times, um, I do feel like it has a a very serious place in uh, the horror genre. You know, we get stuff like, you know, like a lot of people talk about like Ichi the Killer and Audition and things like that. And and sure, that's there, but there is a lot of like balls-to-the-wall uh, Japanese horror out there as well. Um and I don't think we really talked about much of it before. So I picked this one because it's probably of the ones I've seen that without getting too much into like, you know, people painting their faces kind of like whitish blue and pretending they're a ghost. This one had some of the craziest visuals I could remember from a, a flick in a long time. So I really wanted you guys, if you hadn't seen it, to kind of check this out and kind of get a taste of it. It's almost the way I had to describe it to a friend was like, it's like Kuso, but Japanese with a plot and way less shit. So <laughs> it's, um, it's just kind of like just full on bananas, but, um, I enjoy it. It's, it's really fun. Uh, John, let's get this out of the way. It's definitely too long. It's like if, if like a fever horror dream became a power Rangers episode. <laughs> I, I honestly, they could have cut out 20 minutes of this film and we would have been that much better for it. You know, I did it. Yeah. I found it uh, to be too long, but that it is fun. I agree with you. It is a movie I never would have watched on my own, but I'm glad that I watched it. But I don't know that I'd recommend anybody else watch it. When you initially pitched this one, Garrett, I've I've seen a couple of these type of, uh, just for all intents and purposes, I'm going to say this is like a gore body horror Power Ranger movie. I th- I've seen a couple of these, and my first thought, and I think I said this to you, is like, oh, is this the one where the girl has the chainsaw that comes out of her ass? And you're like, wait, what? So, yeah, there's like a whole slew of these type of films like The Machine Girl, Mutant Girl Squad, Zombie Ass, Toilet of the Dead, or Robo Geisha. Like, I guess there's a whole subgenre of these like ultra violent, gory, bloody movies where girls and things just have katana blades and all kinds of things coming out of their orifices. It's not just girls. It's just people in general. Right. Sure. I, I know. But the, the, it seems all the, there's always like a center, at least the ones that I mentioned, there's always like a a femme fatale figure that's kicking the shit out of everybody else. Normally with some sort of appendage she didn't have when she started the movie. So <laughs> I, I think this is its own genre, right? Like Japanese movies, they can oftentimes be strange stuff like Tetsuo, the Iron Man or funky forest first contact or house from 1977, which by the way, if you haven't seen house Japanese house from 1977, it's on HBO demand. You don't have to sign up for any garbage. Uh, hiya on Amazon to watch that one. Just go check it out. It's like an acid trip ghost house, 1970s Japanese film. Um, that's kind of its own thing, right? It, uh, when did this type of Japanese horror start becoming prominent? I don't think I remember seeing that in the early 2000s, other than like say Itchy the Killer, but it wasn't quite this over the top yet. I would, I would say it's been around for quite a while. I just think we may not have been, I mean, let's be honest, dude. I don't know if, wow, I'm about to just really go into this. Um, I don't know if you're an anime fan, but at, growing up as like an anime fan, it was hard as shit to find like animated films, like Japanese anime or, you know, even like Japanese movies as a whole. 
Um, it really took a lot of work to to track down extremely common, big, popular films over there, over here in the U.S. And that wasn't until I want to say early mid '90s. God, I, I mean, I don't want to put a, a button on it, but like, it was about that time when we were actually able to start getting things other than like fan subs, um, or even worse, the dreaded fan dub. Which, oh God, bless your hearts, people, but seriously, we should have just skipped that altogether. Um, so I don't know. I feel like this stuff has been around for quite a while. I just think we weren't, we didn't have the exposure or the accessibility to be exposed to it as much as as we we have access to it now. As far as this type of like over the top gore, you know, special effects, I think that just evolves with the time. I mean, look at American horror cinema. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre versus. Uh, like a, a Brian Usna film, a, a reanimator, if you will, or something like that. Battle Royale. Yeah, and that was like, what, 97, 98? It's 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah, IMDb says it was 2000. I don't know if that's the American release or the Japanese. Like, I don't know how IMDb picks their dates, but they say 2000. Yeah, I can see the connective tissue there. Battle Royale was great when that originally came out. It was, you know, every wound wasn't an open geyser of blood like this movie, but it definitely had its moments, right? Right. Well, look at the samurai films of uh, the the mid-80s uh, from Japan, um, you know, like the samurai, you know, stuff. The first time I ever saw them use like a hose, and, like kink it to shoot blood out of a neck hole uh, from like a samurai film. God, it was just like, I was like, that's so rad. Um but they were doing that stuff early on. Now, again, the prosthetics and the special effects of the over-the-top organic, I don't know. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to say. If our listeners know, hit us up. Let us know. But I just don't think we had the exposure to it at the time. Yeah. It, it, just to touch on that whole anime thing, it seems like the only ones available at the Hollywood video were like Bubblegum Crisis, Evangelion, and a couple Dragon Ball movies, and that was it. And Oh, man, I don't know if you guys remember the early internet, but back whenever Dragon Ball Z was airing on Adult Swim, they kept rerunning the same ones because they were still busy dubbing the rest of them. So me and my friends went out to the internet and got like 240p of Dragon Ball GT, like 100 episodes of the worst quality you could think of, along with fan dubs. And, oh, it was such a painful experience. But that's what you had to do, man. You wanted to finish the story of Goku. That's what you're going to do in, like, 1999. Yeah, I was talking before that, when you're, like, going to, like, comic book conventions and a guy had a box where he's made, like, six VHS dubs of, like, you know, Ninja Scroll or, you know, the the really, like, pre-bad Akira dub. I mean, you know, and there was only certain things we could get. But, yeah, like, Evangelion, before there was even, like, a translation, some of it. Um, yeah, it was pretty rough. I mean, this was before almost said uh, Nickelodeon, but like before Adult Swim got into like showing any anime. You used to have to walk uphill in the snow to get it. It was terrible, kids. You have no idea. Yeah, it's not even I'm not even trying to like sound old Maddie about like like back in my day, we really had to work for anime. No, it's just more just kind of like I would have loved to have had the ease of this. But I think that, you know, it was there. I just think that, you know, because we get we get told about movies like, like, hey, have you ever heard about this? It's like Evangelion. We're like, whoa, whoa, what? And over there, it's one of the biggest like series ever. You know, at the time it was like just it would be like, yo, are you watching Breaking Bad? But this one is this one like a like a pinnacle of the, the, the genre. Do you know or you just picked it out of a random like I want to there's like seven of these. So I'm going to pick this one. I you know, I picked this one because I have a fondness for it. Uh, so I don't really know if it's kind of like the 
the name the name brand <laughs> version. It's not the Akira of uh, gory body horror movies. If it is, I do not know. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna plead ignorance on it. But I, I just saw it and I was just like, yo, I had some fond memories of some moments, and I was like, yo, I've got to share this with the guys. So. You know, this is why I recommended it. Do you think you would want to preface this to a listener? Like, hey, just before you get into this, you may want to know a few things. Like, hey, yeah, there's a plot, but that's not why you're here. You're here to see uh, neat costumes, blood, crazy over the top, mutations, and and shock stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, the plot's there, but that's just to get us to the next scene. At least I feel that's how I was feeling when I was watching it. Yeah, I think what you could do is like watch the first 15 minutes of it if you like it or you don't mind it, all right, you're you're golden. If you're like, oh, I can't watch this. The, I mean, the movie is exactly the same for the whole runtime. Uh, it just gets crazier and crazier. So at least it's very upfront with what it is. Doesn't like try to lure you in like right away. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say for sure if you recommend this or you want to watch this, you know, be aware you're going into this for over the top prosthetic gore over-the-top scenes of, like, just bizarre um, practical effects. I would throw a trigger warning on it, which is kind of weird to do for a, a film like this because everything is so gorily disgusting. But if you have a problem with, like, wrist cutting and things like that, you know, eh, just a heads up, that does kind of come across prominently in the film. But uh, it's, like you said, John, you're going to know what you're getting into within the first, like, 10 minutes of this movie. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I often am. But uh, when we started watching this one, it felt low budget to me. And not that to say that the costumes were bad, but like the the camera work, uh, not not so much the their shots were lining up or anything like that. But there's a there's a fir- a certain look to a shot that makes me automatically put it in the category of say a movie like Iron Sky. Did you ever see that Nazi ones on the moon movie? That- Wait, what Nazis on the moon? Oh yeah, you haven't heard of Iron Sky? The <laughs> no. The Nazis launched a bunch of uh, uh, soldiers up on the moon and they're on a moon base and they don't know that they've lost World War II. (laughs) And they build a a ship to fly back down to Earth and we got to fight the Nazis all over again. Only now they're moon Nazis. Oh, those are like the worst kind of Nazis too. (laughs) I think it's just, it it might be a lot of the green screen effects, right? So yeah, we we got the physical prosthetics and all the blood and everything and then all the backgrounds at times seem like they're out of place to me. And I don't know, maybe that's just me, but, and and again, it doesn't make it bad. It just, it's something that I got to adjust to when I start watching a film of this caliber. Yeah. Does that make sense? Are you talking about the scene at the very beginning where they're outside the building and like the, the Tokyo tower, Mount Fuji and the building are all in the same shot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. I'd agree with you, Mark. It uh, There are times where I'd watch it where I felt like it was like a TV show almost. Like it was like TV quality. But then I was like, oh, yeah, this came out you know, in 2008. So and maybe it was independent or low budget. I don't know. But I just was like, oh, maybe I'm just watching like Tokyo Gore Police Cops, you know, like a cops episode. <laughs> and now that should be a television show. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was filmed in two weeks. Uh, so this was definitely kind of like an independent kind of like the guy who did this is um, like a practical effects um, uh, 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 words, um, makeup department, special effects producer. So the guy who did this is is definitely it's kind of like it, when Tom Savini does a movie, you know, it's going to be really heavy on that kind of stuff. So very same thing. But they filmed it in two weeks is what it says. I mean, I think that's it's designed to be that way. I think it's like camp 
in its own right, like kind of tongue in cheek camp. But, um, you know, I think that's more window dressing for, you know, what we're seeing. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you said the guy that did this one was Nishimura. Is that right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Yoshihiro Nishimura. I, I think he also worked on the Machine Girl and Mutant Squad, uh, Mutant Girl Squad, Garrett. So that might be why I got all these mixed up because they're all kind of touched by the same individuals making these uh, over-the-top films. All right. Well, we've we've kind of laid it out there. So why don't we get into this one um, a little bit deeper? And and Mark, I don't I don't know if you picked up on this or not. Um, this movie kind of feels to me like a very over-the-top uh, special effects. Robocop. Oh, sure. Um, there was like fake little commercials in there, but all the commercials centered around like, um, like seppuku and, um, wrist cutting. I mean, they definitely all had like this kind of weird kind of like sadistic masochistic kind of, you know, cutting theme. And I don't know if that was something I was missing. I don't know if that was like, kind of like a, um, like a take on, you know, society at that time, or if that was kind of like any kind of like social commentary, but it was very weird because those commercials kept popping up randomly. And um, I was like, oh, this is very Robocopy. I mean, it's also about a cop. So who goes through a transformation to take down the bad guys? Mark, this might just be Robocop. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. I think it is Robocop. I think it's also got a little bit of the uh, Starship Troopers sprinkled in as well. I think if we combine the, the feeling of those two movies... You're right, because this is all about the corporate privatization of the police force. And I think that's exactly what happens in RoboCop. If you remember, Garrett, they're taking over the cops. They build RoboCop. I did not know that. So that's actually very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so it, definitely that. And you're right with the commercials um, where RoboCop would do maybe two commercials throughout the movie. This one decided to just do like 37 commercials where one commercial is advertising a new type of wrist cutter that makes your blood smell and taste good. And it's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But I think that there's got to be something within the society of Japan that this is satirizing, right? Because there was also that movie where they're like, I don't know if you saw this one and uh, forgot, forgive me, the name escapes me, but it's one where like all these kids start committing suicide and they start jumping in front of trains and stuff. So I, there's something there that we're just missing as Americans, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it definitely it definitely made me think about what John said when we talked about it chapter two, you know, like the not the the glorification of like suicide and stuff like that. But it was definitely it was like I was like, there's I, I had to believe there was some kind of social commentary that these commercials were taking on because uh, otherwise it just seemed completely out of place. Like, I mean, compared to the gore, that's fine. But this almost seemed, you know, like, oh, this is reality. <laughs> Like, I don't know. It kind of took me out of the moments of when people were having their body parts turn into giant bioorganic weapons. I mean, the movie opens up with our main character, like cutting her wrist in the car as a way of like coping with her dad's murder that she witnessed. And the Tokyo Police Corporation are upstairs fighting a engineer, which we find out through the my favorite part of the whole movie is the bubbly DJ dispatch um, Tokyo cop <laughs> radio announcer who's like, go get him, guys. You got to do this. Yeah. I was like, all right, there we go. That's awesome. Did you like that? I, I actually thought it was a little too much. They kept cutting to her way too often. And if the listener doesn't know what we're talking about, if you've ever seen The Warriors 
from the 70s where they keep cutting to the DJ gal talking over the radio to the, the gang. Yeah. It's the same thing, only now she's in your face with blonde hair, cop outfit, and screaming at the camera. I'm like, all right, all right, calm down. <laughs> it reminded me of like an adult swim skit or something. Like it did feel very out of place, but I don't know. The more I watched the movie, the more it felt like it worked. So uh, I, I think this movie's like, it's more than a sum of its parts, right? If you took one thing out, I think this whole house of cards would collapse. So I'm hesitant to say cut anything out. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely felt like, um, I mean, Cowboy Bebop has their, you know, go get them, Space Cowboy kind of, you know, thing. Jet Set Radio has got its DJ, you know. I mean, it, it, it seems, it felt very in place for this type of kind of like, you know, over the top, you know, kind of fun. I keep saying fun, <laughs> but fun within context uh, movie. So I don't know. I really liked it. And I loved when they'd like, you know, cut to her because she was like this little voice of like narration or exposition where it's like, I did not want a scene of them sitting at a table drinking tea and be like, it was 17 years ago when we first got the call to go in and check out and privatize. I'm glad she's like, the cops have been privatized. Go get them fellas. I'm like, thank you for <laughs> summing that up in four seconds. And plus she was just a really cool, like designed character too. But anyway, so she's like talking about like the cops explaining what the engineers are, which are um, sadistic killers who have changed their bodies to basically have weapons um, that can like grow out of their body parts. Like if you, if, if they get cut or something like that, their wound can then turn into a giant bio weapon. Um, so like if you have this character's main thing is he has a chainsaw or as I like to call him a Tokyo Leatherface. <laughs> um, he's up there and they end up like slicing his hand off and it ends up growing back as this giant organic, like bio chainsaw thing, which I was like, that's kind of cool. The engineers are like a bioengineered of all the bad murder genes, right? That's what we're dealing yeah. with here. <laughs> like Garrett said, any injury to them, no matter how severe, becomes a weapon of some kind, unless you destroy this key-shaped tumor inside of them. Other than that, they're, anytime you hurt them, uh, they just turn whatever injury you gave them into a weapon. So what is, what is the main uh, character's name again? Our main character's name is Ruka. And um, she, and so as she's sitting in the cop car, we see a little flashback. She sees her dad killed at some kind of protest by a gunman. Um, we will flash back to this scene multiple times and pan out a little bit more each time to kind of reveal more of the story. I thought that was really fun um, because like every time like a character is like, you remember that time? And it's like, yes, I remember that. And it's like, but do you remember this? And they just pan the camera back and it's like the next piece of the puzzle is like a foot away. <laughs> so, and I'm assuming that that's revealing her remember this stuff each time, right? Like she remembers a little bit more of that flashback to the horrific event. Yes. It's so stupid. We'll, too. Like, <laughs> Yeah. We'll pull it. We'll pull a John here and just go straight to the end and spoil the hell out of this. But, um, just to get this out of the way completely, what you find out is her dad was killed because he was trying to stop the police force from becoming privatized. Uh, a, a sniper who used to work for the cops, who was like the best sniper in the world, like basically fucked up one time and retired from the cops. But then he was contracted to kill this cop who was stopping the pri you know, privatization, which was Ruka's dad. He goes and kills this guy, but he gets killed by the captain of the privatized police force who was who orchestrated this whole thing just to get the police force to be privatized so he could have complete control over 
everything. And literally it is a, a daisy chain of guns and heads in this scene. But like every time a new character talks about it, it was like, I was there. You don't remember who killed your dad? It was my dad. And it like pans back a foot and it's like you guys standing right there. Like to you, to what you said, like to to see it like all pan out. It's like this kind of like just kind of really comedic um <laughs> just kind of like way of showing it. But um, so, yeah, so you find out that the the privatized police sh- chief captain is the one who orchestrated all this and Ruka is now going to get revenge. But you find out that the sniper was the father of the key master, the guy who's out there creating the engineers, these psychotic bio killers because he was a super genius kid who never had money to go to school. And when his dad was killed, he lost his mind and went and injected himself with all the DNA of every major serial killer from around the world. And we know this because there's a shot of Charles Manson DNA, Ed Gein DNA. <laughs> like it's just like labeled as such. And he goes and injects it all in his neck. So this guy is responsible for these things that they're fighting. So it's kind of this weird, like, symbiotic like because of this one event this cycle continues which puts the tokyo police private company at the top of the food chain god that's complicated but (laughs) it's really not yeah like for our listeners who are like wow that sounds like a really engaging story you should know this is all told in like a flashback at the last five minutes of the movie it's a huge exposition dump (laughs) it's not like crafted throughout the film in any way where you're discovering this with uh, the character. It's just like, oh, better wrap this plot up. Remember all this stuff? Yeah. So you mentioned the, uh, so the guy that injected himself with the neck with all the serial killer DNA, his dad was a crack sharpshooter, right? Correct. The funniest fucking thing to me is whenever the Tokyo corporate police sheriff hired him to kill Ruka's dad, handed him a pistol, and he walked point blank up to the guy and shot him in the head. It's like, if he's a sniper, wouldn't he have handed you a damn scope? I know. (laughs) The thing is, that's the first thing. The first time I ever saw this, and it was all like, he was the greatest sniper ever. I was like, he was a foot away. Yeah. <laughs> like you can, you could step back, bro. Like, and in fact, go sit in the front row. You're, you're good. Like, I'm sorry, bro. Your daddy wasn't thinking this through when he accepted the gig in a pistol. <laughs> That's what makes him so great. He could do it with a pistol. <laughs> then, then he should have shot him for at least a hundred yards away with a pistol. Look, he was, he was no bullseye. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Ruka, she's now a part of the police corporation because the sheriff has raised her as his own daughter after the death of her dad at the, on the steps of the protest. Um, she is in the cop car while the normal police corporation, which I might add, I really like the police corporation's outfit. They're not dressed like cops. They're dressed like cyber samurai. They all have like strange walkie talkie medallions in front of their face. And every time they talk, it sounds like they're talking into a can, you know, um, but they all have like machine guns and I think it's a really cool design. Well, they all storm this building. And like John said, there's a man up there with a chainsaw, uh, one of the engineers. Would you call them samurai cops, Mark? <laughs> Ooh, yes, I would. <laughs> now I wish I was watching that movie. <laughs> they call him samurai. He speaks fluent Japanese. Are you Fuj- Fujiyama? What does katana mean? It means Japanese sword. So uh, she's hanging out in the car. I guess she's only allowed to fight particular battles. Uh, Why not lose at least half of the samurai force before we call in the big gun? Literally. Uh, She's in there. uh, She's I guess she's getting a little tense or bored or something. And she reveals her wrist 
when I say her wrist, it's like her whole arm is scarred up. And it's like, okay, she's got issues. And she takes out a box cutter and then proceeds to slice her wrist in such a manner that, in my opinion, my professional doctor's opinion would remove the arm. Am I wrong? How many times does he slice through the skin? And it's just a mess of ribbon, flesh, and, and, and muscle, and that arm would come off. <laughs> like, she's not an engineer at this point, right? No, she's not an engineer at this point. She's just a girl with some severe emotional and mental issues who cuts as a way of dealing with it. But yes, she cuts it like she's cutting a Christmas ham. <laughs> she goes to town, man. Yeah, I watched and I was like, I was like, she's going to bleed out. Um, so, but no, she doesn't. She gets out of the car, pulls out a rocket launcher, aims it up to the top story where they're fighting this engineer, but instead of firing it, aims it at the ground, shoots the ground, launches herself straight up to the top of this building, which I loved. I thought it was so great. Um, and then she gets up there and she's going to fight, um, Tokyo Leatherface. So I think she has light superpowers. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Why that rocket, if it had enough power to shoot her up, didn't also kill her? We'll never know. But I think it's because she's got, you know, she's she's a, a Captain America level superhero, maybe, or something. Gotta be. Listeners, don't point your bazookas at the ground and expect to shoot yourself to the second floor. <laughs> it's not going to work. I promise. You will die. <laughs> you, will, you will make it to the second floor, but not in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think just your gun will make it with your hands attached, and that's all. So she gets up there, and they have a tussle, as you will, with a man with a chainsaw who's crazy. And she, she fights with a katana blade, and she's really good at it. And she slices the guy's arm off, right? And then he grows a fleshy chainsaw because, again, that's what the engineers do. What did it ever determine what decided the mutation at any point? Like, why did he get a chainsaw later on? Why does Lady get alligator mouth legs? You know what I mean? Like, did we ever get that answered? It's a complex formula of like half comedy, half shock value. And the genes and the engineer just know what would most, you know, uh, fit that formula. And that's what they land on. So it's writer's discretion. Or maybe life is a cruel mystery and none of this makes sense anyway and you get what you get. <laughs> sure. I, I'm really curious why our, our lead bad guy with the syringes of all of the serial killers throughout the whole movie, I call him gun barrel brain because his eyes just become gun stocks. Uh, but we'll get there in a second. Tremendous question, Mark. <laughs> also, how does he see but you know what? Irrelevant. <laughs> right. Why am I bringing up these garbage questions? <laughs> That's the tagline for this movie. Irrelevant, but a fun time. She's fighting the guy. I think, is this the guy she slices directly in half? He pulls apart and then recombines himself. And it's like, oh, we're not, we're dealing more than just a normal crazy man who can grow a chainsaw hand. Um, so then she takes him apart with that sword piece by piece. You just see pieces of flesh falling on the ground. And then she pulls out this little thing and is like, okay, got him. And I'm like, what is that? And as John revealed, it's this weird key tumor that uh, uh, makes you an engineer. You have to remove that from the body to kill an engineer successfully. Yeah, you have to remove it and sever it in half. And we find that out because after this scene, they they go back to the the police headquarters. And it's there we, we get introduced to like the doctor. Like they have like a kind of like a, I guess you would call him like a corner. But um, he's like this crazy mad scientist doctor who's dissecting it. And he's, you know, like, oh, cool. You cut the you cut the key in half. And that's where we kind of find out the backstory about what creates these engineers. And we get a little, um, you know, a little backstory on it from our 
very happy radio DJ dispatcher. Um, and so then we get introduced to the chief of police, um, her, I guess you would say adopted father. More or less, yeah. And he comes out, and at this point, you think she's going to get scolded because he walks out with a a weird robo-fetish dog person. Um, <laughs> and then he's scowling down, and she's like, oh, my God, what have I done? But surprise, surprise, it's her birthday, and all the cops are there to wish her happy birthday. They give her a cake, and that's where we get the backstory about, oh, he's he's taking care of her. And let me just stop and point out something that was very, very confusing to me, as if this is the only point that that happened. So when she goes back to the police station, and I'm going to put that in quotation marks, I know you can't see it, quote unquote police station is only ever represented by an empty car garage. Do you know what I mean? Like we never see the office of the police corporation. There's never the chief's office where he's demanding the gun and the badge. You know what I mean? None of that ever happens. It's always in this deserted area with no cars, nothing. It's literally just they, they found somewhere to film. They set the camera up and be like, surprise, it's your birthday. But this is where we come back every time she goes back to headquarters. Damn it, Ruka. The prime minister's going to have my ass for this. <laughs> right. Here's some headcanon, Mark. Maybe these aren't the beat cops. You know, these aren't your pulling people over for speeding cops, right? These are special forces of the Tokyo Police Corporation. And so they have their own shitty office with no budget um, because the main probably your regular citizen might not even believe about engineers yet. I like that. I wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I was curious about in this whole movie. And even on a second watch, I was like, I was like, huh, I've actually seen this movie a couple times now, but like, I was like, dude, the, the people don't seem to understand what engineers are. Or if they do, they they act like it's kind of like, a, oh, hey, that's happening. <laughs> you know, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Yeah, but I think that adds to the low budget feel of this movie, right? There's not a lot of extras. They don't go wander around city streets. You know what I mean? There's no traffic out and about. It's only the only thing we ever see are our actors, and that uh, kind of just kind of leans into this whole like the empty office uh, car garage is the police station. But John, if this was like an underground, this is a new sect of the. Tokyo Corporation. Like, I wish that could have been explained. That would have easily explained why they keep meeting in this garage <laughs> and not in the office. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he does have a desk in the middle of this open parking garage. So <laughs> I guess I guess the entire building is his office, the communal office, if you will. They're just waiting for the rest of the furniture to be delivered, you know, with the crime rate the way it is and trucks being robbed left and right. It takes a long time, yeah. even for the police to get desks and cubicles. And I got to say, John, while your head cannon makes some sense and, and wants to make sense of this, I don't think it's true because they continually show us the Tokyo Corporation police commercial, you know, where there's they they murder half a dozen people in their commercial, smile at the camera and say, we're here to protect you. In fact, my favorite commercial was the one <laughs> was the one where the kids were playing soccer under the fucking bridge <laughs> and the the fucking creepy guy runs at him with a knife and then the cops just oozy him down to death yeah and then the kids are playing soccer with his head and i was like mm, that's very good thank you tokyo corporate police <laughs> that one's weird too because that one does not play off like at the beginning like it's a commercial <laughs> like that one plays off like it's the next scene and you're like what the fuck is happening yeah i thought that was just part of the movie i'm like oh. yeah and to your point, Mark, it felt like at any time I expected one of those cops to be like, would you like to know more? Yeah, exactly. So the next scene, we basically go, we, of course, because why not? We cut to the creepy dude in his tidy whities having sex with a girl who looks like she's probably extremely underaged 
for a Japanese schoolgirl. Um, although she is of age because she's works for like this prostitution ring. Uh, it's just your standard Japanese pervy, you know, trope that they use. The madam is all like, all right, pay up. I got to go. So she goes and she's booking her girls out and stuff like that. And then she gets killed by the key master who is this reoccurring character that we keep seeing pop up. And, um, you know, he shoves these tubes in her and drains her blood. I don't know why he drains her blood, but he drains her blood and then cuts her up into the tiny little pieces. And we're like, what the hell? This is crazy. Do they never go back to why that happened? Is that just a thing that happened? He's just doing it. I don't know exactly why. That one, I don't think they ever explain exactly why he drains her blood. They do say like, oh, it's just like the other murders. And then that's all we know about it. Because engineers are like mindless killers. They like to kill and get gory as fast as possible. Uh, This one, they were like, this one took his time. It's almost like he's calling us out deliberately. So that's the only line of dialogue that lets us know that this is different and actually pertains to the plot. Okay. (laughs) So, um, but it doesn't really, it doesn't go beyond that. So we get that moment, which is kind of like, okay, that's great. And then they're like, well... This guy is definitely, he's targeting madams and prostitutes, so let's go ahead and dress you up, Ruka, as a prostitute and send you out on the streets to go ahead and find this guy. So she dresses up in this little outfit type thing, gets on the subway, some creepy dude grabs her butt, she pulls him off the subway, cuts his hands off, um, and then walks away with one of those like wonderful like paper Japanese umbrellas as like blood rains down from the sky. This shot was so cool. I wish I could like, I wish it's an audio medium, but like I wish we could show you. Um, this was like a pointless scene that could have been edited out, but it was so like awesome visually. You know what it reminded me of? Cause they probably pulled from the same source. Uh, lots of the fight scenes in Kill Bill, uh, but particularly the one where it goes all black and white cause there was too much blood. Uh, cause they're fighting in that, uh, Japanese, I don't even know what it was. Uh, the crazy 88s or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene though, like she's a cop, right? Uh, uh, no, no, she works with the cops. Yes. She's not a cop. She's not an actual officer of the Tokyo Corporation. Yeah. She's a contractor specifically to kill engineers. She doesn't do regular crime except for this guy who had a shitty day and groped the wrong person. So uh, good for her. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I, I understand that uh, what he did was gross and wrong. Uh, Mark. But, uh, to slice his hands off like that, it seems a bit above the law. You know what I mean? She says that sexual assault is a serious crime. And you know what? She's right. I mean, and that's if that's what it takes, then... I'm not for capital punishment, but I'm sorry. You don't be grabbing girls' butts on the subway. End of story. You get your hands cut off. Do we need to show you some more commercials? I think that helps set the tone of... uh... (laughs) I need more Tokyo corporate police commercials, please. We need to put Mark through the training. (laughs) Uh, So she, she goes to a like an underground like alleyway, hallway thing where the key master you know, meets up with her. He has like a three bladed knife and he, they have an awesome little fight scene in the, um, the alleyway, which had metal gear solid music, which I thought was, I know it wasn't really a metal gear solid, but it sounded like it. And I was like, huh, interesting. She slices his face like across, like, like right above his nose, like below his eyes, she slices his face with the katana. And then he proceeds to grab, as you were talking about earlier, grab his head pull his skin from his face, like back off of his skull where he's, he's ripped off. Like, I guess you would call it like the eggshell of his head, <laughs> like, and thrown it to the ground. And all that's left is like his nose down. And then above it, 
His eye holes are now gun barrels, which shoot brain bullets, and then a open brain with like heart valves sticking out of it that squirt blood. Um, a very unique look. But we find out that this guy is the key master. And after a little bit more struggle, he he shoots his brain bullets and pins her against the wall. The words coming out of my mouth right now, I'm honestly astounded. Pins her against the wall with brain bullets, walks up to her, takes out the little like tumor key that makes engineers, rubs it down her arm, which then burns a keyhole into her arm. He puts the key in, unlocks her arm. It shoots open like one of the monsters from the the thing with Kurt Russell. And then he puts the key and he's like, now you're one of us. Now you're an engineer. And then boof, like that, he's gone. Can we just stop to think about our gun barrels for eyeballs? Really the way you want to go here? Like permanently? Like maybe a shoulder cannon would be cooler or, you know, something that wouldn't... I'm. What I'm saying is I don't think he's getting 2020 out of them gum barrels. You know what I'm saying? No. This is a very Midas touch situation here. That guy <laughs> did not think about uh, the downsides to gun barrel eyes. Well, his dad was the world's greatest sniper, so maybe he's got some kind of supervision that we're not aware of. Oh, could be. Is this the only time he shoots his brain crystals? This is the only time I saw him shoot his brain crystals. I mean, he might do it outside of the film. <laughs> That's the other point I'm trying to make, is he only does this once. He lost his sight for good or changed it, altered his... like. Uh, anyway, again, I shouldn't <laughs> ask these questions. <laughs> the point of having gun barrel eyes is to never have to shoot them, Mark. It's just to awe people into uh, getting your way by the mere fact that gun barrel eyes are pointed at them. In fact, you know what would be cool if one of the downsides of gun barrel eyes is because he's shooting pieces of his brain, he gets a little dumber every time he uses them. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like that. But, you know, this guy's really assuming that he's never going to have to pivot into a new career. Like, this better work out for him or every job interview is going to be like, "Uh, hey, buddy, what's with the gun barrel eyes and brain, (laughs) you know? Yeah, he's never getting a license. The DMV would not let you have gun barrel eyes and drive a car. (laughs) Guys, he's the key master. He doesn't need to do any of this stuff. (laughs) He's got his his plot is laid out. His trajectory is set. Uh, Anyway, although I did love when he first started tearing back his head he tears back his head to shoot out this like this spray of blood to like that would like send protesters flying um like to blind ruka as she's like fighting him and i thought oh that's cool that's gonna be it no (laughs) gun barrel eyes but uh what did you guys think about that uh pulling your face back to uh spray blood at your enemy loved it it was really good so much blood (laughs) but yeah it is really good I just don't think the human body's that pressurized. You don't think so? No, I mean, I've cut myself before and I don't remember much spraying. That's all this movie is. This is nothing but spray. Every every heart has got 72 chambers in it, John. This is the new science. Everyone's blood pressure is 7,000 over 2,000. It's just bonkers. Guys, it's, it's all fun and games, but I've lost a girlfriend to this. When I was cut myself shaving one time, I went to look at it and I, I, I blasted her against the wall with my open blood spray <laughs> and uh, blinded her. And to be honest, I probably should have just committed and just pulled off the rest of my face and maybe had like chainsaw cheeks, but I didn't. And, you know, I ended up single. And I mean, you know, it's all fun and games to joke about it, but the reality is this is a real problem. And I don't, I don't know if we should just be, you know, just 
laughing about it. I like that Garrett thinks he's going to get something cool like a chainsaw chin. He's going to get like banana chin or something dumb. <laughs> banana chin? No way, dude. I'm at least getting coconut cheeks. Ooh. Only for people with a banana allergy. He is very dangerous. <laughs> so anyway, she uh, she goes back to the lab. Rooka goes back to the lab where she's like, okay, she doesn't told anybody she's become an engineer. But um, she gets some information from this fight and she tracks down a person named Haruko or something like that. Goes back to the office. She starts running down leads, tracking that down. Um, And that's where she finds out about this person named Haruka. At the same time, the police chief, the privatized corporate cop, is uh, running facial recognition stuff on the the bottom part or the top part of the... (laughs) The engineer's head that he ripped off. They're using that to kind of match faces. Partial face scan, please. (laughs) Yeah. And after like five minutes, he's like, ah, there's the match. And then like he recognizes it. Like he's like, oh, man, like, you you know, something's up, but you don't know what at this point. And um, I think this is also around the time where the uh, the captain sits down and it was like, man, I could sure use some speed right now and takes a ballpoint pen and draws a syringe injecting something into his like vein. And he goes, ah, yeah, that's the stuff. (laughs) I was like, what the hell is going on? I forgot that happened until you just mentioned that. I was like, that could have been a commercial, but no, that was part of the movie, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Which you come to find out later is like a real reference to something he like he injects himself with like green reanimator fluid that like gets them all jacked up. But I, I thought it was just like a funny little joke and I was like, Oh, that's pretty clever. But, um, no, evidently he's hooked on the juice, the, the high C ecto cooler. Who wasn't hooked on high C ecto cooler when that was an option. <laughs> Everyone in America was addicted. Uh, I will say though, that does lead to one of my very few super minor complaints about this otherwise perfect film. Uh, they don't do a good job of separating what's a commercial and what is the movie. So sometimes, yeah, I'm like, is this a commercial? Is this the movie? What What am I looking at here? Um, I wish they had separated those two a little bit more. Yeah, I think the commercials all had, other than the, the, the join the Tokyo private squad and mow people down with machine guns and play soccer with their heads. Um, I think all of them had to do with like cutting yourself. Like the one where the, uh, the man commits... Um, like seppuku like because he does bad at his job that i thought was part of the movie the first time i saw it i was like what the hell is and then you find out it's a commercial it's all like ah use this blade to kill yourself at work if you do a bad job and i was like what the shit i also really enjoyed the the wee one the wee attachment that's just a knife and they're slicing guys on the screen that wee one was my favorite one the mom comes and like let's do it together we're going to make a quick stop off with the key master at a latex bar where I guess a Yakuza guy comes into this bar and um, we get this kind of weird striptease latex leather fashion show type thing. Man, it's balls to the wall insanity. Some great vinyl like latex outfits. But um, Mark, why don't you tell us what we see? Is this the one where we've got a stage with three uh, uh, people you can bid on come out to the crowd? Is that where we're at? What other scene do you think it could be? (laughs) Yes, that is the scene we're at. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to call this. This is random warehouse number two that the uh, director decided he wanted to film in. Got a bunch of his buddies in and they serve drinks and there's uh, three, three women in parenthesis or quotations have you. They come out and they've got a number etched onto their ass. I think one of them's got a 69 and 
She doesn't have any nipples. She's just got stitches over her breasts. Otherwise, she's normal. Then we get a woman that comes out that looks like a garden snail, like a, a you know a full-size garden snail shell, all that. Eye stalks. Really turns on one of the guys in the crowd, and I was very surprised by that. I was like, oh, somebody likes that look. Okay, no problem. Uh, you know, whatever you're into, I suppose. Uh, and then the third one, and correct me if I'm wrong, the third one's just a chair made of skin, right? Or is there another one I missed? There's four. The fourth one is the chair made of skin. And real quick, yes, you you pretty much nailed it. The first one is um, this woman and she's got, I don't remember what her deal was, but she's got some like weird, you know, kind of like prosthetic skin aberration thing. Um, the second one is Haruka, the girl you said with her, you know, her, her breast like cut and sewn shut with like weird teeth things. That's the girl with the 69 on her side. That's Haruka. That's who's, um, Ruka is actually trying to track down. So there's a connection with Haruka and the key master. Um, so we're like, Oh, we're on the right path here. Then we get shown the snail girl who, as you said, has a weird prosthetic shell on her back. Yo, I was also shocked that that dude was like, before bidding on any other girl, was like instantly like, snail, right there, that's it. Hook me up. (laughs) And then there's like this weird pomp and circumstance (laughs) type moment where they're going to drop the curtain on the fourth girl and everyone's like, ooh, and they do it and it's this like living chair. It looks like a flesh chair. And then you realize it's breathing. And then you kind of pan down and realize that it's got a giant gaping vagina um, just staring at the audience and then begins to piss all over the audience, which they are into. (laughs) There's no there's no other way to say this other than the fact that like this is why we showed up this moment right here. Now, that, that leads me to believe that this crowd knew that this kind of thing happens at this establishment. So what other furniture women are they bringing out to the audience to peruse and purchase? Mark, you don't <laughs> you know, want to know. That that was probably the least shocking <laughs> furniture person that they had. I also yeah, those people knew what they were what they were there for. Nobody was surprised when this happened. They, like uh, Garrett said, they were they were amped. It was an exciting, it was the high point of their they're gonna go home and tell their wives and kids about what happened here. <laughs> they're gonna tell their kids. <laughs> In this universe, they sure are. Oh my God. It's like, well, if your damn mom would put out more, I wouldn't have to fuck this snail person, Tommy. (laughs) Um, So, but yeah, it's it's just this weird, bizarre scene. And evidently that scene was inspired by a a bar that uh, the director actually went to. Um, I don't know what happened at the bar to inspire him, but yes, that scene was inspired by (laughs) some moment in his life. Um, but yes, yeah, so the the Yakuza type guy um, bids on number 69, which is Haruka. Um, and she goes in the back with him and he gets strapped down into a chair in the middle of another open warehouse. A lot goes on in this scene. Um, so it starts with the guy he's strapped down. He gets uh, oral sex. He's very into it for about 0.5 of a second because uh, she bites his dick off. Just clamp, bites it off, blood naturally as it does, starts spurting everywhere, uh, and then she spits his dick out on the floor. She's thrilled about this, by the way. Yeah, she's yeah. This is this is what she thought they were there to do. I don't think he was involved in making these plans, though. <laughs> um, Mark, do you think this is what the song "Making Plans for Nigel" was about by XTC? <laughs> uh, no, 
<laughs> That's about British things. Uh, I don't remember what happens. He gets free. He cuts her in half. I remember that part, but I don't remember how he does it. Well, okay. So what happens is, is as he's getting that sweet, sweet head, um, he looks in a mirror on the wall. Is it though? Well, he seems to be enjoying it up to that point. Fair, fair. You know, um, he looks, he sees a mirror on the wall and he looks in the mirror and behind him, there's a, a shadowy figure standing behind him. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what? And then you realize it's the bullet caliber brain gun key master guy. Um, and he's like, what the shit? At that point, that's where she's like, you know what? I think I'm gonna take this dick. Bites that bad boy off, spits it on the floor. She's delighted. She's just, she's having the time of her life. Goes and stands next to the key master. The key master is then like, okay, cool. We're going to turn this dude into an engineer. Um, I'm assuming from what I get gather, he's making these engineers to try to, to fuck with the, the corporate police to fuck with them because of what they did. Like he's making these unstoppable killers that is making them look bad. So the key master's like, all right, let's, uh, let's make this bad boy into, um, into a uh, an engineer and he goes to do it but the the yakuza guy has a machine gun an uzi in his um his pants like in his like belt loop type area which as you do honestly i don't know if i was ever going down on someone the first thing i'd be is like move the gun <laughs> like i do not want this anywhere close to where i'm gonna be right especially if your plan is to bite this guy's dick off you don't want him to have be within reach of a weapon. Yeah, she didn't plan this very well. But anyway, she she <laughs> succeeded in her goal. So um, so the the guy he managed to like through the sheer pain alone of having his dick cut off and having his arm opened up to become an engineer manages to break his hand free, grabs the machine gun, goes to shoot the key master with the Uzi, the Uzi and um, Haruka. Uh, jumps in front of him like, no, my master, I'll save you. Totally gets just cut in half with the Uzi, just like fires, shoots her across the abdomen, and she splits in two. At this point, the Yakuza guy gets out. He unstraps himself. He's on the ground. I guess he zips up his pants because in the next scene when he runs into the hallway, um, his pants are zipped up, which I mean, I guess you would want to do. You don't want to bleed out everywhere. Um, He's crawling down the hallway trying to get help. um, And then... Out of the door comes the half lady. Um, she comes crawling out of the door and you see her top half, you know, kind of crawling out. But then when she crawls the rest of the way out, she's got giant alligator bottom half. <laughs> so she's she's the she's not the fish person you were expecting, Mark, but she's a fish person now. I don't think she's ever going to put on a size two pant again. Uh, she's going to have to graduate to maybe some, uh, what are the, what are the big balloon pants we wore in the two thousands or the Jinkos? the Jinkos, right? She's only going to fit in those huge Jinkos from now on. <laughs> yeah. Now would she put pants on though? Cause she has essentially two heads. That'd be rude to the alligator head. Also, how do you walk on an alligator snout? Good point. <laughs> I mean, these are questions that have to be answered before we can move on. Do you think that the alligator head is independent of uh, Hiruka's mind? Or, or I figured she just controlled them like legs. No? Oh, I thought, well, hmm. That's a good question, Mark. It's all one being. She controls it because there's times where she smiles and gives a little giggle and then lunges at um, the gangster in the hallway and then starts eating his leg off. And he's like, whoa, my God. And then he goes to fire the machine gun. But the alligator bottom mouth uh, opens up, bites his arm off from like, you know, elbow down. And it's still holding the, the Uzi, though. So it's on the floor. The alligator girl, Haruka, is um 
Like they're going back and forth. They're trying to fight. Well, this dude manages to grab his severed arm, still holding the Uzi, puts it in the alligator mouth and then pulls one of the nerve endings hanging out the back of his arm to make the gun fire kills Haruka. Do you think that could really be done in real life? Do you think that would work? No, (laughs) I am not a doctor, but I am 7 million percent sure that your fingers aren't connected to your shoulder via string. I am positive of that. This has been your doctor moment with John. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even go to medical school. That's free advice right there. So (laughs) that's just that's just good, solid, unsolicited free advice, my friend. (laughs) Um, So at this point, the key master now has this um, this gangster guy. And uh, he's kind of helpless. Like he'd managed to kill Haruka, but he's he's at the mercy of the keymaster now. So the keymaster goes, turns him into an engineer, but we don't see what. So now we cut away from this scene, and this is the scene where Ruka, our main character, goes to finding this apartment, which has a bunch of padlocks on it. She opens up the padlocks, and inside is the keymaster. And dun dun dun, the two come face to face, and he's like, "Hey, come on in. I'm going to tell you a little story." And this is the point where, and she's on board for it, which I thought was really interesting. Like she doesn't try to kill him instantly. She's just like, yeah, okay, let's go and talk. And this is where we get our massive exposition dump of the backstory about her dad was killed by the sniper's dad. And he's retelling it. He was like, you there, you saw your dad get killed, but I saw my dad get killed. And literally it's this medium shot of Ruka's face. And then the the guy, the key master, just like moves from behind her to the left a little bit. And it's like, hi, I'm here too. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this scene as a matter of fact, because the way it's set up is they go sit down at this tiny table and then he pulls out this picture frame and he sets it in front of her. And like he starts telling her an illustrated story of what happened back then. Yeah. And we don't have to go into it because we, we dumped it all at the beginning. But yeah. So so forth. He's just trying to convince her. Is like you need to be on my side. They killed both of our dads. Get it? We're we're both against the 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 samurai. I almost said samurai cops. Uh, the Tokyo Gore police and uh, the guy that raised you is a piece of shit. So come with me. We're we're allies now. And then she just cuts him right in half. It's like no nah, no. Nah, thanks for the story. But she's like I'm gonna do this on my own terms. I'm gonna do it without you. And ends up killing them. She hears the backstory and then she's like, yeah, I'm still a cop, though. Sorry, slice. And you're like, whoa, OK, you know, duty and honor, I guess. It's safe to say she has no chill. She's a super cool character, but not I don't think anyone you'd want to know IRL. I don't think you ever see her enjoy any moment of the movie. Yeah, it's it's she's a very weird, complicated character. And I mean, to be fair, in a better movie, they would have actually like developed her and like given us a little more fleshed out, like understanding of like how she interacts with stuff. But in this movie, we get what we get (laughs) is as this story, as this backstory is playing out, it's interspliced with a scene across town at the Tokyo corporate police headquarters where the Yakuza guy who got his dick bit off shows up and um, is going to take out all the uh, corporate police because he now has a giant like sword hand and an elephant dick cannon. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than that. Other than when they, they show this giant prosthetic like bio dick that shoots bullets, um, it makes an elephant trumpet. One of the few times in this movie I actually laughed. I was like, all right, that's pretty good. And he can aim it too. Don't, it's just not unwieldy. You know what I mean? He can like mm-hmm. point that thing. If you start running across the Tokyo Gore Police garage, 
you know, because that's where they're stationed in this movie. He can follow you like a heat-seeking missile man. It's like, all right, how come he can do this? I want to know more about this bioengineer bullcrap and how come he gets <laughs> uh, elephant dick and then this other guy, you know, just got box cutter hand. <laughs> you know what a chainsaw we're gonna make short commercials for mark it's all like increase your dick to elephant bioengineering sizes <laughs> shoot bullets in all different directions <laughs> click here to find out more it's gonna be one of those dick pill commercials that show up on every damn website <laughs> these days oh man i don't know the answers to your question mark i wish i did i will say you are right about his ability to just great dick shots. He's just, he's getting headshots with that thing. It's incredible. Headshots. Get it. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah, no, he's, so he's taking out all the cops. Um, but then the, the police captain comes in and takes him out, like kills the, uh, the giant elephant dick monster guy engineer. And he was like, you guys are all worthless. You let one engineer come in here and take you out. How dare you now? Two things. While this scene's playing out, we cut back across town to uh, Ruka and the engineer Keymaster um, having their conversation about the backstory. <clears throat> I will say this. I was a little pressed on time um, on my second viewing of this, this film. So I did watch the backstory scene at 1.5 speed. If you watch that scene at 1.5 speed, with the soundtrack it has, it's super chipper and super upbeat. It's like, it just, it has a completely different feel than if you watch it at regular speed. Um, Cause he's saying this horrific stuff, but the soundtrack sounds so upbeat and like happy. Um, but anyway, so she kills him. Now this is the part of the movie that I'm still not sure about after multiple viewings. Yeah, it's it's like the Tokyo Police Corporation just flipped the switch to kill everybody. Yeah. Rather than just kill the engineers because it doesn't, it's just chaos and mayhem for the last 15 minutes of this thing. This is what happens. The mob, one of the first rules of the mob, right, is you never kill the cops because then they turn around and they take it out on you. And by taking, by killing cops in the garage of the police station, it's like they declared war on the Tokyo police and they're like, all right, well, we're going to declare war back. And because apparently they have the their, uh it's like a Judge Dredd universe, they can just execute everybody uh, who even mildly seems like they possibly could be an engineer or know an engineer or have came in contact with an engineer or know the word engineer. Yeah, very true. Any of those things. We'll get you killed. I really appreciate that you're trying to build some sort of lore story reason for why this happens. <laughs> Other than I just assumed, well, the director knows that the audience now knows that all the cops are bad. So let's just make them bad. Click. <laughs> I can't help it, Mark. My brain just wants to fill these plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so like, again, that's still one thing I'm on, like, what happened here? Like, other than the fact they got attacked, I was like, why start killing innocent civilians everywhere? Because they do. They go, like, full batshit crazy. They're, like, putting bags on people's heads with smiley faces drawn on them, killing them in the streets. Um, at this point, Rooka knows the whole... So she's like, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna get revenge for what happened. Um, but she's seen all these... All the cops, like, just go full fucking, like, you know, Lord of the Flies... <laughs> out in the streets and they tear her bartender friend up and uh with a four-way car like i don't know what you call this drawn and quartered i don't know is what's the what's the term for that i think that's the term uh they rip her arms and legs off yeah i do want to i we didn't bring her up earlier because she was just kind of 
plot device for backstory, but yeah, uh, Ruka has this bartender friend who uh, gives her some sort of like bracelet at some point, I think. She also had a run-in with Ruka way back in the day before she became an engineer hunter. And so they've always had like this kind of like friendship. And one day when Ruka's asleep at the um, the bar, she slips a little glass bead bracelet on her as well. So they've got that little connection going. I did want to mention that she has one of my favorite kills when the cops come in to take out the bartender friend. She smashes a wine bottle or a sake bottle and then proceeds to cut off one of the cop's face. And I'm not talking in chunks. It's like a whole piece of the face. Eyes and nose and all dropped to the floor out of the glass. And I was like, okay, props on that. Didn't expect to see that today, but I liked it. (laughs) Mark, fucking sell it because she doesn't just cut off his face. She has a broken giant sake bottle. So she sakes it to him. I tried to workshop that and it did not work. I thought I'd go for it anyway. I like it. Okay, cool. It works. Good Nixon. She jams the bottle in his face. Doesn't cut it off. Like, you know when you use like a cup to make biscuits? <laughs> like, you know, like you put a circle thing down and like, you know, spin it. So it like kind of pulls out the, the shape of the circle biscuit. She does that with the bottle, takes the bottle, blows through the nozzle and shoots out the perfectly round biscuit face. <laughs> onto the floor and he's just got this massive like perfectly symmetrical gaping hole in his face at that point it's it's a great moment that's definitely i'm glad you called that one out yeah so but unfortunately they overpower her tie her up to four different cars and start pulling in opposite directions uh, for an unbelievable amount of time and i guess ruka can feel through the bracelet oh no my friend's being pulled by four cars which we haven't mentioned, all look like Toyota Corollas with roofs of houses on top. I don't know why that is, but I thought that was hilarious. So all the cars have like an actual... Those are the Tokyo police cars. I know, but it do... <laughs> why do they have a, a house roof on top of the car? For when people throw bottles. They've got like Shinto shrine roofs on the top of these little fucking <laughs> cars. It's so ridiculous looking. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, about that seed, Mark... I appreciate that you called out it's unrealistic because rather than as you would expect her arms and legs to come off, she just gets ripped in half. And I got to tell you, I don't think that's how it would work in real life. No, it would just take her limbs, I would assume. But also she gets pulled for, I don't know, 27 minutes (laughs) for uh, Ruka to run off uh, halfway to Tokyo, you know, from the other side of town. And and right until Ruka shows up, that's when she gets split in half by the cars. My note for this scene says overindulgence is the bane of Hollywood. (laughs) Yes, this is the one. This was another one of those like there was two scenes in particular. I was like, I would have cut half of this immediately like i don't even know how an editor didn't say yo my dude we got it we got to cut <laughs> like at some point nothing's happening here uh it's just a lot of her face screaming but that's that's a lot of what this movie is though you know like just think back to a lot of the scenes a lot of them took a long time to complete one action of say Ruka getting on the subway. She didn't just get on the subway. There was like 17 camera cuts from the left, from the right. She looks and looks and looks and she's looking badass. Like it's like part of the movie's persona. You know what I mean? Everything has to have a particular style to it or it, uh, it's not uh, gore police worthy. At least I think that's what the director was going for. Gore police worthy. <laughs> There's a new scale. <laughs> and after 27 minutes, like you said, Mark, we do see her get ripped perfectly down the middle. Ruka shows up, sees this. And I think at this point, this is where she decides to just go full ham on all the cops. 
Yeah, she ends up fighting box cutter arm girl who I didn't really remember her or who she was. That's a completely different cop with a giant Naginta. Oh, that's right. Box cutter arm girl is a creation of the key master earlier in the movie. She's one of the like little prostitute girls because I don't think she's a kid, but she looks like schoolgirl um, aesthetic in this. But um, she gets a giant engineer bio box cutter as a, as an arm blade. And then one of the cops out of the corporate police station comes out. She's this badass looking chick with a giant Naginta. They have a fight in the parking lot. I don't know why this is even in the fucking movie. Um, but the schoolgirl takes her weird mutated tits out and shoots acid milk on the Naginta cop and melts her down to a skeleton. Then we cut back to the plot. For no reason whatsoever. They just all blend together. It's just all a blur of green titty milk and razor blades. <laughs> God damn it. Um, yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll take us home real quick here. Uh, so after that random pointless scene, which was awesome to watch, but had no bearing on the plot whatsoever, we get uh, Ruka, who's going to basically go finally get her revenge back at the headquarters. We cut back to the headquarters where Samurai Cop Captain is now going to fuck his weird dog fetish person thing, uh, which he does, gets all horned up, um, gives her samurai sword legs. So now she's like walking around on like fucking metal toothpicks. Have we properly described this character that you're talking about? This gimp person with no appendages? I don't think we have. Okay. So there's this character that seems to be the sidekick of old uh, Gore uh, Corporation Sheriff. It's a it's a woman that's in all S&M bondage gear. And she's she's only up to her knees and elbows. The, 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 the arms and legs have been removed. And she's got little caps on them. So she clicks when she walks around. And she's on a leash. It's very off-putting the first time we see her when it reveals the captain because I thought she had wandered into some bad area that she was going to have to start fighting dudes. But no, that was like her surrogate father wishing her a happy birthday. So when this character makes a return and now she's got sword leg and hands and she starts jumping around like an acrobat, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. That's why he kept her around, I guess. She's a very skilled fighter. Yeah, it was still weird. I don't know if that's it, Mark. I think he just wanted a weird, like, fetish gimp thing. And he's like, oh, I can outfit this with swords. Cool. Right on. Can you imagine if we were going to vote for our next chief of police and he rolled out in Austin with a freaking gimp? Like, I, I, I don't think he'd win. I just don't think so. I don't know. I think if our next chief of police showed up in a full latex mask and was like, we're going to clean up the streets, I'd be like, I want to see where this goes. <laughs> like, I don't think it's going to end well, but <laughs> I have to know someone with the balls to show up at a full latex mask or a a person on a leash in a full clear vinyl latex bodysuit. I'd have to be like, all right, what's this guy's story? Yeah, based on this movie, it's not going to end well. I'll tell you what. It's going to end in uh, super pressurized b- blood hoses. Oh, yeah. No, this movie is the the prime example of why we need to defund the police. I mean, not to get political, but this is it. This is what we should be showing everyone right now. 
to make that happen. Bro, they're in a garage. They've been defunded. They don't even have a building. <laughs> but they're they're privately owned. I guess they're privately owned by like one guy who happens to make some extra money on a side hustle he has. Yeah, who's the CEO of Tokyo Police uh, Corporation? We never see that person. Who's running it? Yeah, what's the money behind this organization? Yeah, the board of directors. That's it. What's the origin story? It's big latex, boys. It's big latex. <laughs> so Ruka fights this um, this sword wielding, you know, thing. I don't know what to call it at this point. Incapacitates it, knocks the swords off it. Now at this point, we 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 fail to mention Ruka shows up at this point as an engineer. She has a giant bio dog mouthed like arm extension. She shows up and the captain's like, oh, my God, you're an engineer. You're one of them. You betrayed me. And she's like, yeah, you killed my father. Prepare to die. She cuts off the captain's legs and he's like, how dare you? How could you? And she's about to go in for the kill. And I don't know what happens, but at some point he decides that um, (laughs) he's going to (laughs) become organic Iron Man. And Mark... Explain to us what this involves. Yes, absolutely. So Captain there, you think he's done, he's down for the count. Well, as Garrett alluded earlier, he likes to draw syringes on his hand to allude to a problem he has. His problem is he's injecting himself with predator blood. When he does, he takes out two syringes and injects them directly into his legs, and it starts spurting blood that rockets him out of his seat, and not since Street Fighter the movie with Van Damme, and Raul Julia's bison rocket shoes. Have we gotten such a great flying moment reveal at the end of the movie? <laughs> um, he's flying around now, like swinging punches at her face. He's flying around and then she flips out and chops off his hands. And then his other appendage holes start rocketing liquid out of those. So now he's like in this spin because the liquid, there's a scientific term, right? So it, the pressure is coming from all points and he's just spiraling in a circle now with no head, no limbs, just his body above the ground and she lands and looks all badass. And it, it was pretty fun. I enjoyed this scene. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> so that said, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she beheads him. And before this scene, the coroner mad scientist doctor shows up and start shooting. He has like this giant six barrel cannon thing he's using, but there's like severed arms in it. So he's shooting like fist rockets at her. This was a, a fight that I did not enjoy. I thought it was funny, but it went on too long. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It really at that point seemed kind of like a step back from the the sheer balls of the wall intensity we had built up to at this point. Um, I thought it was fun. But I, I could have done without that that moment completely and not have missed a beat. Yes. So she kills her adopted father slash captain. And then she says, I'm still a cop and I'm still going to protect law and order. And then we cut to her outside standing in front of the cop car. And then here comes the, the gimp monster with giant machine guns for legs now instead of swords. And then, bam, we smash cut the credits. Oh, title of the movie, Tokyo Gore Police, because that's this This is their origin. This is them becoming the Gore Police. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I missed that. That's what good catch, Mark. Oh, yeah. Oh, that leads me to question, where's Gore Police 2 now that they're uh, running the town? Well, did you guys watch the post credit scene? Yeah, the credits specifically say more gore coming soon. Uh, that was 12 years ago, so 
Step it up, bro. Yeah, there's a there's a post credit scene, Mark, where um, the key master is back with his head reattached, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have the bullet chamber eyes, but his eyes are sewn shut. And then from behind him, the um, the box cutter schoolgirl has her hand bandaged up. She doesn't have the giant box cutter anymore, but she's got her hand bandaged up. And they both walk off in the distance, kind of, you know, Bill Bixby style. And then it says more gore coming soon. Uh, if they made a Kickstarter, I bet they would be able to make Tokyo Gore Police like two through ten. Well, maybe you should uh, bankroll this. Or they need to contact Haya or Fandor or uh, Fright Night or whatever else garbage <laughs> streaming is. I'm sure somebody will hand them 20 bucks in a bag of blood. Haya is the worst streaming service name I've ever heard in my life. I would be just upset to give them money with that name. And I like Kung Fu and Karate movies, even the shitty ones from the 70s that are really the best ones. Why could they come with such an embarrassing name? Want to see Tokyo Gore Police 2? Subscribe to Shasta. (laughs) Uh, If I want to watch Meatball Machine, uh, if I go look that up on Amazon right now, Meatball Machine, that's a Japanese movie if you think I'm just making things up. It's real. Uh, let's see. I can watch this if I subscribe to Fear Factory. Yeah. So, all right. So there's another one called Fear Factory. Subscribe now for your seven day free trial. Boo. Boo that website. <laughs> we got Quibi. We got Peacock. We got Fear Factory. We got Haya. We got Shutter. We got Netflix. We got Amazon Prime. We got Hulu. We got Hulu Plus. We've got Stars. We've got, um, HBO Now Go, whatever they're calling it nowadays. We've got, um... TMC or Turner Classic Movies, TCM. I know that's one of the ones you can subscribe to. Uh, CBS All Access. Oh, God. Did you say Paramount Plus? Nope, I didn't because I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, Fandor, Quibi, Tubi, uh, Crackle. Man, fuck this. This is the future. This isn't the future, Mark. It's the present. In five years, like two thirds of these are going to be out of business and they'll be rolled into probably Disney Plus because Disney's taken over the world. Oh, we didn't say Disney Plus. Oh, how can you forget Disney Plus? (laughs) Yeah, I think there's also like a Comic-Con one you can sign up for, Con TV or something. Anyway. So thanks for tuning into the Grave Talk podcast. Um, So uh, this has been Tokyo Gore Police. What did you guys think? Obviously, we recommend it in our own weird ways. Uh, John, would you concur? Yeah, I mean, I touched on it at the beginning of the podcast, like... I would have never in a million years watched this movie without it being for the podcast. Like there are multiple times I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to turn this off and pretend that I watched the rest of it. I'm glad that I did it because I could have never pretended how fucking batshit crazy this movie is. (laughs) You can't guess where it's going. But now that I have watched it, some of the visuals and the effects are so cool. And like the movie just it's somebody's vision and it is a very creative, if gory vision um, so, you know what? I'm just happy that that person got this, uh, you know, they got to create this world that apparently is rattling around in their skull. Yeah, it's like a good party movie. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, you guys got to see this kind of thing. It's never anything you're like, I want to sit down and watch a film, though. This is one of those movies that if you go to the bar and it's really loud and there's metal music playing and they've got TVs showing something in the back of the bar, it's probably one of these movies. That's exactly where I saw Mutant girl squad for the first time was just on a, at a bar i'm like what the fuck chainsaw ass what am i what am i looking at 
pour me a beer. Uh, it's one of those. Like, turn your brain off. It's fun. It's stupid. It's shocking. But it's not like... I'm not offended by any of it. You know what I mean? It's all over the top. It's almost like a Mortal Kombat game where the violence is just so outrageous. Like, you can't really be that upset by it. It's just, like... Go in with that kind of attitude and you'll have a good time with it. I think everybody should check it out once or at least see one of these so you, at least you could tell your friends and your friends at church exactly what the Japanese are doing, okay? <laughs> it's definitely satirical in its own, like, over-the-topness. So I think that kind of makes it a little more palatable. Um, but yeah, no, this was uh, Tokyo Gore Police. And as you said, Mark, there's a, there's a handful of other films out there in this kind of same genre. So if this was your jam, check them out. Uh, they're not too hard to find. You can find them on some streaming services, and they're also pretty easy to get uh, cheaply on DVD on Amazon. Yeah. Right, just make sure you to sign up for every service you ever come across, and you'll have access to everything. That's how it works. There you go. Are you spending $700 a month on streaming services? If not, step up. Doing it wrong. Get that level up. Yeah. <laughs> Those are rookie numbers. All right. Three recommendations for us. Uh, listener, have you seen Tokyo Gore Police? What did you think of us? Why don't you let us know on our social media? We got a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page, uh, Fandor page, uh, Fear Factory. No, we should make a Grave Talk subscription service, though. We just got to figure out what to put on there. Uh, well, I don't know if it'll be it'll be out probably by then, but I actually I don't know if I'm going to do it streaming live, but I actually am going to record my playthrough of Resident Evil Eight. So we will be putting that up. Um, Maybe we'll do a subscription service for that. 99 cents or Uber us a, a burrito or something just to keep us gamer fueled, right? <laughs> we need our gamer fuel. Yeah, hit us up on our social media. Tell us what you think. You can find more Grave Talk stuff at thegravetalk.com. Uh, if you have any recommendations or cold opens you want us to talk about, hit us up. We're happy to throw those in as well. Well, Garrett, what are we going to do next time? So next episode, Mark, is going to be one I think you're going to be happy to hear. It's uh, Evil Dead 2. Oh, I've never seen this one. I can't wait. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You know you have. <laughs> yes, I recommended it. It's time to put it on the podcast. I don't know if you two have seen it. I, I'm... I'm I'm narrowing my eyes at you across the internet as we do this podcast, but uh, we're going to remedy that. I have not seen it. I knew it. I'll tell you right now. I knew it. I am going to use this uh, as an occasion to rewatch the remake. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah, why not? Well, listener, that's what we got next time. So get it watched. See us again in a couple weeks where we do Evil Dead. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you then. <laughs>